as it says in Acts chapter 2, that it was heard the mighty works of God declared in their own language. And so if you'd be willing to participate in that, I speak fluent Albertan, but I'm not allowed to speak it. And that's about all I have. And, but there are a number of you that uh, speak languages from around the world, so we look forward to Pentecost on that day. But we're going to tape it. It won't be done live, and the taping will be on May the 14th, two weeks from today, after the morning services, and then also on a Wednesday afternoon. So if you would like to and are able to participate in that, uh, please get in touch with me. The sermon time this morning, I'll be reading in a moment from Matthew chapter 6 in continuance of a series on the Lord's Prayer. And the sermon substance this morning will be in two parts. I've invited a married couple to participate in the sermon time these next two weeks by using personal story by way of application. And application of the text of the sermon uh, will come through that personal story, the husband sharing this morning and his wife sharing the next week, uh, forgive us our debts. And so uh, anticipate that and look forward to that this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. Please hear these words of our Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then this next verse, verse 11, will be the text for today. But the pronouns change. We've had three requests, three petitions so far in the prayer. All of them uh, beginning or using the pronoun your, asking God to do something for himself. And now, beginning in verse 11, uh, the pronouns change to give us. First of all, give us this day our daily bread. And next, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to believe your word and to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. These are probably very familiar words to us. Give us this day our daily bread. They are a profound revelation of our dependence upon God. They are a reminder to us, though, that, that the way that our Heavenly Father makes his name great, the way that that God's kingdom is revealed, the way that the, the will of heaven is revealed on earth as we have prayed through those first three petitions. You wonder, well, how will I ever see that? How will I ever be able to comprehend that? How will I ever be able to participate in those things? It's probably something beyond my imagination. Well, it's not beyond your imagination. It, isn't it a humbling thing that the first thing that is said when we pray for God's will, as it is in heaven, to be done on earth, that he tells us to then pray, pray for your daily bread, that it is the will, the very will of heaven, of the Lord God Almighty, that that will in heaven on earth be exercised, demonstrated and displayed through you and me receiving the substance for living. 
And so it's not something beyond our imagination. It's not something incomprehensible. It's part of the very fabric of our daily existence that God would give us our daily bread. It is a prayer that, that gives us a very particular posture before God. And that posture is one of dependence. It is also not only for that posture, but it is also a, a tool. It's a tool for realignment. I hope you know what you use tools. Tools are, are significant things that we have in our lives, but not only material, physical tools, but spiritual tools as well. And our Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is a spiritual tool, a tool for realignment of where does my dependence lie? <clears throat> where do we look for the sustenance and the satisfaction of our daily needs. Lord, give us our daily bread. Before sin ever entered the world, and there was a time when sin was not in the world, we've been looking at that recently in our series in Genesis, but before sin ever <clears throat> entered into the world, we were created for dependence. And that's a very different book than the book you might have read called Created for Greatness. <laughs> this is not about being created for greatness. This is about being created for dependence. Lord, give us our daily bread. <clears throat> and that dependence, even before sin, is something that we knew all of our needs and our appetites were satisfied and sustained by God himself there in the garden. With, when sin came into the world, it was not the introduction of needs. It was not the introduction of appetites. Rather, with sin came the defiance of the dependence. And with sin came something that was all about independence instead of dependence. And it is in that broken world that this prayer becomes so significant. To pray a prayer of dependence upon God, give us this day our daily bread. Because we are so prone to depend, and I would say pretend, <laughs> that what we have, what we can create, can satisfy us and meet our needs. So being needy, <clears throat> having needs, and having an appetite, having desires, has never been sinful. There's nothing wrong with having needs. There's nothing wrong with having an appetite. It's given by the Lord. We're created for dependence. But it is where we look to having those needs met, is what this prayer addresses. Our appetite, where is it satisfied? Our daily bread comes from the Lord. For all things, not only for the body, but also for the soul. And it is where we look to have those appetites met, to have those needs met, that makes the difference between dependence upon God or defiance. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It is so easy for our needs to become wants. It is easy for our desires to become lusts. And it is easy for our dependence to be turned into independence. 
Proverbs 13, 25 says, the righteous has enough. <laughs> I like those words. I like the word enough. It says so much, and it corresponds to our Lord's prayer. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. That's Proverbs 13, 25. Here's the main point that I would like to get across this morning from this text. And it has to do with the kingdom of God. It has to do with following on the heels of that prayer. Lord, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would you make your name great? And it is this, that, that God's kingdom is a place where God's people defy the world with this prayer. In other words, with this prayer, we're saying, in defiance of the world, saying, I will not depend upon you. I will not look to you to satisfy me. I will not look for all of my appetites, for all of my needs. I will not allow you to, to transform those needs into merely wants. I won't allow you to take my appetites and twist them into something that is wrong. But instead, by depending upon God alone, that Father who is in heaven, who will make his name great by sustaining me and by satisfying me, by giving us our daily bread. Now I'm going to point out the obvious and then perhaps explain the not so obvious. What's obvious is that the words daily bread are lifted by Jesus from the Old Testament. <clears throat> and I think so very, very intentionally. In order that Jesus could use the story of the Bible in order to help his disciples to understand what is he talking about. And so if you've never understood how this prayer is connected to the Old Testament, if you just memorized it as a child or, or learned it, but never seen how it's connected to the history of redemption, I would, I would like to point that out to you this morning because reading those stories of the Old Testament help us to, to fill in so much more of the color when you're reading those stories to help us understand what is going on between God and his people. And that these words, daily bread, our Lord is using, intending to instruct his disciples and make the connection now to his own very presence as daily bread. The story from which those words come, of, come from, of course, is the story of the Exodus, where God took his people into the wilderness and he gave them their daily bread. And I'm sure you're probably familiar with the story of the Exodus. And this is from Exodus chapter 16, where the people have been delivered from Egypt. Pharaoh's at the bottom of the sea. They've danced on the seashore. And within three weeks, they've complained to God and wished that they could go home because they're starving. Their daily needs are not being met. So what do they do? Who do they look to? What does God have to say to a people in the wilderness who have needs, who have appetites, who have the, the need for daily necessities? So Exodus chapter 16, verse 14 says this. And in the morning, dew lays around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in your ten. And the people of Israel did so. What I want to do is take a moment and show you that the prayer that our Lord teaches us to pray is a prayer that is rooted in the same God and that same old story. That the story of where Jesus says that our, our daily bread, but not only the words daily bread, but also all of the Lord's prayer, all of the things that our Lord teaches us to pray in the Lord's prayer are patterned after the events and the history in, in the book of Exodus. And, and there's, a, there's a certain kind of structure to it. There, there's components to it. There's elements to it where God did this, 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 and that. And Jesus says to pray this, 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 and that that correspond uh, wonderfully. When God delivered his people from Pharaoh, he took his people out into the wilderness by making his name great over Pharaoh. That's what he did. He, a merciful father in heaven, as he taught us to pray, came down and he, he delivered his people and he made his name great. And he takes them out into the wilderness. And what does he do with them into the wilderness? He establishes his direct rule. His kingdom comes, was established right there in the wilderness where the people experienced the direct presence of God that was known by the column of fire and the cloud that went with them everywhere they went. They received the very words of God on the mountain, and they experienced the kingdom of God come there in the wilderness as God redeemed his people and, and took them out into the wilderness. And then God did three things for them in the wilderness, and they're the, exactly the same things that, God teach, that our Lord teaches his disciples to pray, that God did in the wilderness— and now Jesus is going to do for you because I am real food and real drink. And Jesus uses the story to place himself in the center of the story. And out in the wilderness, God did three things for his people. He took them, and as I read from Exodus 16, he gave them their daily bread. But he also forgave them their sins. He built a tent. He built a tabernacle in order that their sins could be atoned for. And he not only gave them bread and forgave their sins, but he kept them safe from the enemy, which is exactly the things that our Lord teaches us to pray. But that story was everything to the Jews, to the people that Jesus is speaking to. That story was their story. That story was their history. It was something that if you were Jewish, it was something that your parents were taught. If, a, if your child wants to know who they are, if they want to understand what they're all about, tell them the story. And it was this story. It was the story of the Exodus, all through the prophets, including the Psalms. For example, uh, Psalm 105 and Psalm 106, two very long Psalms in the middle of your Bible. All, both of them recount the story of the Exodus, all through the prophets. The, the prophet's mind, the story of the Exodus, in order to speak back to the people their own story. It was their identity. When Jesus was, was uh, in the presence of the, of the Pharisees and that, it was something that they referred to as their own identity. Says, well, we're the people. We're the people that God took out into the wilderness. Who do you think you are? But we're the people. We're the people that received God's manna in the wilderness. And then... Jesus comes, and in Jesus' ministry, 
what he shows to them by his miraculous power, first of all, is that he has the power, the same power as that Yahweh God, as, as is in their story. And Jesus uses, uses his ministry and uses particularly this word in, these, in this prayer to put himself in the center of their story. You will receive all of those things now through me. The kingdom has come. And you still have daily needs. You still need your sins forgiven. And you still need to be kept safe from your enemy. Pray to me. And he comes and, and the waves obey him. The same kind of thing that God used to put Pharaoh at the bottom of the sea. And they were terrified. Only Yahweh does that. And he took four, 5,000 of them out into the wilderness. And he fed them. Gave them their food. And he said to them, when they would come to him lame, he would say, first and foremost to them, he would say, your sins are forgiven. And when they came to him demon-possessed and terrorized by their enemy, he would say to their enemy, be gone and keep them safe from their enemy. And so the Lord's Prayer is so significant in Jesus teaching us to put himself at the center of the story of what makes up who we are in our faith and trust and confidence in God. Also, not only is it the same old story, uh, newly in Jesus, but it is a story of idolatry reversed. If the Exodus was the positive side of Israel's story, that story also had a dark side. And the dark side, as recounted in Psalm 106 very, very clearly, the dark side of that story was idolatry. So that was also a part of, unfortunately, of the, of, the, of the identity of Israel as a nation. Yes, God took them out into the wilderness and sustained them and fed them, but also what was true of them all through the generations is that they refused to depend upon God. They refused to look to God for their daily supply. And instead of depending upon God's presence, they <clears throat> built their own gods and the gods of other nations they served and worshipped. And so these few words of our Lord, give us our daily bread, are words that reverse idolatry. And they teach us to repent of all that we would trust in that would to sustain us and to satisfy us, both in our body and in our soul. The few simple words that our Lord gives, give us our daily bread, are the exact opposite of idolatry. Think of the basic ritual of idolatry, of idol worship, is to bring to whatever image that we have fashioned or created, whatever things that, that, that we trust in, and we try to sustain that thing. So we bring it food, set food before it. We bring it its daily bread. <laughs> Would you sustain us? by sustaining our God with giving our gods that are their daily bread. And this prayer leads us in the exact opposite experience. Our prayer asks that the living God, who is self-sustaining, who needs nothing from us, who is the creator and ruler of all things, that he would come to us and that he would set our table, that he would bring to us our daily bread for both body and soul. I've sometimes reflect, 
recently in reading through this prayer. It is my practice at a table to pause and say, Lord, thank you for our daily bread. But recently I've thought, <clears throat> I'm thanking the Lord for an answer to prayer, but have I prayed the prayer that I'm thanking him for the answer for? Give us this day our daily bread. And it is no small or insignificant thing that when we sit, when we do sit at a table, we sit there with our appetite, we sit there with our need, we sit there mindful that the, the number of times that we need our daily bread is the number of times that we feel hunger, which is often, which is frequent. <clears throat> And there we sit at a table laden with things that are given to sustain us and to satisfy us. And so sometimes just let pause and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have provided. But let, let your mind wander for a moment, uh, not, not too long, or your food will get cold uh, and your kids will complain. But uh, let your mind wander. Take a moment and just think of the, the, the vast economy of the world and all of the things that are in the world. You can take virtually every vocation, every trade, every calling that anybody does in this world, whatever industry it might be in, and, and it has a, a, a small part to play. The goal is that we be sustained. The goal is that we have our daily bread. The goal is that we would have something on our table. And it requires everything that the world has to give. And to say, Lord, I defy the world to say that this is all independent of you and I receive all of these things by your hand. Please give us our daily bread. Thank you, Lord. And you sit at that same table where there's, where there's provisions and you have an appetite and it's satisfied and you realize, well, wait a minute. I not only have physical needs, I not only have a physical appetite, I have inner needs, I have an appetite that is within as well. And, and you know what? I was, I was really hurt today. I was really damaged today. I was really made to feel insignificant today. And here I am sitting here and, and I'm at peace. Here I am sitting here and I'm not afraid of the world that seems to be falling apart. Why? Lord, thank you for giving us our daily bread. We have needs of the soul we have needs for forgiveness, needs for acceptance, needs for identity, need for safety. And with these, God has made our Lord. That's why he puts himself at the center of the story. Our God, has, God has made our Lord to be, he says in John 16, real food, my body is, and real drink, which satisfies. And it's about those inner needs that uh, Lawrence is going to come and, by way of application, tell personal story. Look forward to that. Lawrence, would you please come?
Pastor Barry asked me to share with you how this could look in a very practical way. As some of you may know, my, uh, Jill, my wife, will be speaking next week about forgiveness. Uh, she and I were separated six years ago. We separated because God, in his severe mercy, would no longer allow my secret sins to continue to threaten his daughters, my wife, and my children. So God dragged my sins into the light. <clears throat> my wife discovered my evil, and we were legally separated. When we are asked to make serious changes in our lives, when God asks that we change our ways, how are we supposed to? We are too weak to stop sinning. Sure, we confess, but we continue to sin. We pray and we confess and we return to sin. The Apostle Paul speaks about this quite pointedly. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I do not want to do, I do. How do we change? How did I change? I was unable to change. I was not strong enough, not moral enough, not holy enough, not courageous enough, not brave enough. Too scared, too selfish, too full of self-hate to believe that I could ever change or that I was even worth saving. So how? We often confuse God's strength and blessing with what we want versus what God knows that we need. So when I read, <clears throat> give us this day our daily bread, as Pastor Barry uh, just shared, we, I think about the Israelites in the desert. What bread did they receive? They received manna. And how much, did they, how much were they told to harvest? Enough for that day. Those that hoarded, that collected more, what happened to that manna? It rotted, it spoiled. God gave each Israelite just enough for that day. That is what they needed. So what did I need? When Jill and I were separated, we would fight. My wife is the bravest person I know. When confronted with danger, she fights. Me, I'm a coward. I freeze, I run away. So what happens when a wife who is desperate to fight for her marriage confronts a husband too cowardly to know how to fight for what is good. Nothing good happens. I, feeling threatened, not knowing how to handle her grief and her rage, would stand up and leave. So why does Jill fight? Because she loves. She fights for what's worth fighting for. But when I wouldn't fight as well, she felt like she wasn't worth fighting for. So after one big fight, I ran away and left Jill and went home. I was raging, scared, afraid, not thinking, completely unable to think straight, to see straight. I was on the bottom, of, bottom step of my, of my place and I heard God say in my heart, you have to go back. But God... Jill is angry. I can't deal with that. She'll kill me. I will die if I go back. You have to go back. But, but that's, that's crazy. She's crazy. You have to go back. Why? 
And then I remembered something in one of the quiet moments between fights, that's something that Jill told me. Whenever I run away, she feels like she's not worth fighting for, that our family is not worth fighting for, our daughters are not worth fighting for, that, I w that change is not worth fighting for. And I felt that going back was suicide, that I would die. And that part of me that wanted to protect myself, to protect me, was screaming to run away. And that part of me where the Holy Spirit resides quietly encouraged me to turn around. Give us this day our daily bread. What did I want? I wanted to hide. I wanted to forget, to stop thinking, to stop feeling this guilt, this shame and hatred for myself. What did I need? Courage, bravery, faith, but mostly courage. So, did God forcibly turn me around and drive my truck back to my former home? No, but he gave me just enough courage so that I could turn back, so that I could drive home. Even though every part of me was screaming to turn around, to run, to hide, I went back. I knocked on the door, and Jill opens it, angry, defensive, no longer weeping, but with tears in her eyes. And I tell her, Jill, I have no idea why I'm here. I am terrified to be here. This feels like the most unnatural thing for me to be here, but I am. God told me to turn around to come back. I want to fight for us but I don't know how. That was the first time, the most profound time I experienced that I lived out, give us this day our daily bread. The next 16 months, the last six years, have been a journey of living, give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. So what did I want? To run, to hide, to be safe. What did I need the courage to face the rage and despair of my wife. What did I want? To stop feeling, stop feeling these overwhelming emotions of guilt and shame and despair. What did I need? The strength to turn around, to set aside my pain and my shame and to be with my wife. What did I want? To never feel these awful emotions again. What did I need? To stop this pattern of returning to my sin and instead turning towards my God, my family, and my wife. What did I want? I wanted to pretend that nothing mattered. What did I need? To realize that my behavior had torn my family apart, to see the consequences of my sin, and to turn into these hard, hard conversations so that my wife would know that she was the most important thing to me and that I would fight for us, even though I didn't know how. What did I want? I wanted to forget my sins, forget my shame, and just forget, even for a few minutes. What did I need? 
I needed to remember. I needed to remember who I was, who God said I was, to remember how valuable he said I was to him. So how? I had to admit that I could not change. I had to admit that what I was doing, the sins I was choosing to do, were not only going to destroy me, not only going to destroy my wife, but they were also going to destroy my daughters. I had to admit that I lacked the strength. I lacked the strength of will, the strength of character, the strength of moral fiber. So, I had to ask. I had to ask God for strength. I had to ask God for the strength to turn my back on my selfishness, <clears throat> the strength to call my brothers when I was tempted, the strength to admit that I was weak and afraid and that I could only get through this day, this hour, this moment by his strength. You need to know that God answered that prayer. He gave me the strength to remember my wife and my daughters when I was tempted. He gave me the strength to make my calls, to call my brothers when temptation came instead of confessing my sin. So instead of confessing my sin, I confessed my temptation. He gave me the strength to be honest with the men in my accountability group and to hear the truth they needed to speak into my life. But most importantly, God gave me an identity. He reminded me of my identity. For I'm the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not be afraid for I am with you. Isaiah 41, 13. When I recite and when I remember this verse, <clears throat> I picture a father walking down a wooden path with his son. The father reaches down his hand and the little boy looks up at the proffered hand, takes it and looks ahead. And the father's face explodes in joy and delight, pride and love. This is what happened with me and my youngest daughter when she was two. We were crossing a street. I put out my hand. She looked up, took it, and then looked back ahead. And my heart broke because of the absolute trust she put into taking my hand, trusting that I knew where we were going, trusting that I would not allow anything to harm her, trusting that I would protect her. I realized that is exactly how God saw me when I chose, when I choose to take his hand, to trust him, to believe that he knows where we are going, to believe that he has the best for me in mind, to believe and trust him. And the most amazing thing is that when I do, God's face explodes in delight, sheer delight and pride and love for me. And I know that I am not worthless, that my sins do not define me, that my shame does not own me, and that he does not see me as pitiful, disgusting, or repulsive. No, he declares to me his delight, and that is who I am, and that is my identity. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And though we may stumble, he will never let us fall, for God holds us by the right hand.
Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The Lord is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17. Give us this day our daily bread. For me, that was courage, strength, and his love. But most importantly, not just to know the love of God in my head, but to believe his love for me in my heart. Not just to know my identity, but to believe it, to embrace it, and to live it, to live out my identity. So I could believe that it was actually worth loving. I believe that many of us here know God, but we don't believe it. Why? Why don't we believe? I believe our disbelief drives us into the arms of sin rather than into the arms of God. Why? My question then is, what is it you think you want? And what is it that you truly need from God? And who do you truly believe you are? I pray that God makes these answers known to you so that you can truly believe in whom he says you are. Thank you. Thank you, Lawrence. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Let's sing together.